Welcome to the Birth Warrior Podcast. In each episode, we feature the stories of birth warriors, women who have persevered to find their own truth in pregnancy and birth. As you hear these women share their stories of love, autonomy, connection, and power, it is our deepest wish that you will be inspired, empowered, and supported to find your own truth. We are honored these women have stepped forward to share their personal stories and to help us remember that we all have the power to choose what is right for us. The Birth Warrior Podcast is a presentation of the Indie Birth Association and is not intended to be medical advice. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Birth Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Jaden Graham. Today, we have Jordana on the show. Jordana is a wife to an Aussie and mother to two beautiful children on earth and one in heaven. Entering into her second pregnancy with a high-risk label, Jordana left the hospital at 30 weeks pregnant, seeking the guidance of wise women midwives, and under their care and in her full power, birthed her baby. She encourages women to educate themselves about birth and pregnancy nutrition as much as possible, to trust their instincts and inner voice, and when it is time for their baby to be birthed, to surrender themselves to the mysterious, powerful process that brings life and light into the world. Jordana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to be here with you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, wherever you would like to start. Great. So I think I'd just start with um, basically the philosophy, I guess that I wouldn't even call it a philosophy, just the understanding that I had, um, coming into birth. Um, I, you know, grew up hearing stories. I wouldn't necessarily say they were like super negative, but it was just like, birth is so painful. Birth is, you know, something that, uh, we need doctors for, um, you know, most of the stories I heard or, you know, how most women, I guess in the U S you know, were influenced by like, what we see in Hollywood films, you know, that somehow that's anything sort of related to birth. Um, I was a C-section baby uh, because I was breech. My husband was a C-section baby. Um, And so we sort of had that, I guess, history, you know, coming in. Um, I was a C-section only because um, the doctor, my mom's doctor, was one of the few doctors in the entire city that would even deliver breach, and he was fine doing it. But um, the hospital policy was you had to have an X-ray uh, to see if your pelvis was wide enough for the baby to come through, and there was like wow. a slight increased risk of childhood, I think, leukemia. And so my mother was like, "No, there's no way, um, just do the C-section." But she ended up having my um, youngest sister V back after that. So I did have that knowledge, you know, that, um, even after C-section, it's not like your body is, is broken by any means. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, just, I didn't have any idea that birth was this empowering thing, or even the thought of, you know, a baby isn't just born, but a woman is birthed as a mother. And, um, and I was scared of birth really. I remember being a young, a young woman and I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, this is just seemed like such a such a scary thing. Um, and so when I got pregnant with my son, I was also really not in a healthy place. I had, um, randomly gotten this kind of adult onset of asthma a couple of months before. And I, I had like a reduced lung function and I was on some medications that you definitely don't want to be on when you're pregnant. 
And so it was sort of a scary, stressful start um, to the pregnancy. And I did what I thought was, you know, the best thing to do. I went and I found an OB practice. It was all women. And, um, and I thought because it was all women doctors that they would have kind of a woman friendly, I guess you could say approach. Um, and we went in for our first appointment and, you know, everything seemed fine. We got, you know, the little speeches that they give. And, um, I remember distinctly one of them when they started talking about nutrition, they said, you know, really you only need to eat, um, two to 300 calories more now that you're pregnant. Um, and that's the equivalent of a cup of yogurt and a granola bar more per day. And nobody ever asked, nobody really ever asked after that, like what I was eating. Um, they never asked how I was doing emotionally. Um, it was just very much like you came in, they did your blood pressure, they did your vitals, have any complaints? No, you know, I'd have prenatal appointments that were like 15 minutes long you know, or 10 minutes long, even just with a doctor. And it was, um, but I didn't really know any better. And so I thought, okay, you know, just, well, it seems like everything's going great. And um, I was working at a kind of stressful um, political, I was working in a nonprofit job, and I was commuting into Washington, D.C. about an hour and a half, so three hours total, a day, you know, sitting at a desk, um, definitely was not getting in a lot of movement. I was not eating anywhere near what I should have been doing. I had a lot of stress, family stress, um, not great sleeping. I was just basically doing all the things wrong. And I was doing what I feel like culture tells us to do as women, which is just to like push through, you know, just be strong and push through it and you'll be fine. And I was like, I can be a fully working woman and be pregnant. I've seen other women do it. I'm just going to like power through this thing. Um, but I had some bad habits of, you know, just working, working, working. And, oh, yeah, I forgot to eat lunch. I guess I should eat now. And obviously can't do that. Shouldn't do that when you're yeah, pregnant. Um, yeah. And so, you know. <laughs> But one of the problems was, you know, with those kind of regular pregnancy symptoms of, you know, a little bit of nausea and being tired and, and I'd have like a rapid heartbeat and, and some swelling in my legs, which, you know, when you look those up, that's like, quote, regular pregnancy symptoms. You know, I felt like it wasn't really up to snuff, I guess you could say. And like with my work and I was stressing about that. And then like six months into being pregnant our president of the organization came from overseas and we were all doing these big meetings with him where we were having these one-on-ones and we were presenting our work plans for the year. And I'd like worked really hard on mine and everyone was like, you know, going in individually to their meeting with him and coming out and they're like, wow, like, you know, he's really all business today and, you know, he's just ready to go. And so I'm getting a little nervous, you know, like I really, I'm like gearing myself up for it. So I go into there and the president, who who is the founder who started our organization, uh, was a rabbi. And I sit down and I'm like ready to give my spiel. And he turns to me and he says, Jordana, you are bringing life into this world. I can't do that. I can never do that. As a man, there's no way I can do that. <laughs> He's like, but you are doing this amazing, amazing thing, you know, and he, and he went on for another like four or five minutes in the most encouraging thing I heard. I felt like throughout my whole pregnancy. And then he said to me, and if that is all you do this year, that is enough. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, 
should have taken his advice. <laughs> but I was just like, you know, wow, like how many women need to hear that? Like just what you're doing, carrying, nurturing, bringing life into this world, like it is enough for, you know, nine, 10 months. It's, like it's another job. It's a yeah, <laughs> for sure. It totally is. But even just in the like, in the like, you know, eternity view of it, like it is enough just that like bringing this yeah. precious, amazing life into the world. And totally. um, that was just like such, you know, such a moment for me. But um, so another month or two goes by and like my face is like puffy and people are like, oh, what a cute pregnancy face. And um, and I remember at one point, I had like my ultrasound and uh, I remember the sonographer saying like, oh, your baby's measuring like he'll be about eight and a half pounds. That's like a big baby for you. And I sort of took that as like, oh, wow, I guess maybe I'm eating too much. You know, uh, maybe I should slow that down because I don't, you know, like because everyone's like, oh, too big of a baby. You know, like that's bad. Mm -hmm. And um, and I had some other issues that should have been red flags um, for my doctor. You know what I now know as now is upper right quadrant pain. <laughs> um, I had a little bit of third vision. I had some headaches. Um, my blood pressure was always 120 over 80. Um, but that was high for me. So, yeah. you know, I feel like in the medical model, they sort of treat you as like, these are the standards. And as long as you're there, like, it's totally fine. But, you know, we're all unique individuals and my blood pressure runs much lower than that. So, um, you know, that was something that should have been a flag. And I remember I went in when I started to have that upper right quadrant pain. And so they're like, maybe you should just come in and we'll check you. And that was the first time I met with a midwife, the only midwife. She wasn't allowed to deliver in the practice. And that was what? the longest. No. Yes, exactly. I know. It was, it was the longest appointment I had in the entire, my entire, you know, time. Um, and she asked me, you know, the swelling in your legs, does that stay? Does it go down? How, you know, like she asked all the questions and, um, and that was like, yeah, I mean, I had the other longest appointment I had was one of the doctors telling me that I needed to take the flu shot. And when I, you know, respectfully declined because I had done a lot of research and just didn't feel like I wanted to, even with the asthma complication, um, I couldn't find one study that said that, you know, they had tested it on babies and it was fine. So I was just like, you know, I'll just stay home more. But like, uh, she told me, you know, are you prepared to look yourself in the mirror every day, knowing that you could have saved your unborn child. And because you didn't take this, shot, you killed your baby. Like literally the words that came out of her mouth. That was like wow. my second longest appointment. Um, so, and I kept having everyone say like, wow, you're so small, you know, and the doctor, one of the other doctors, she was just like, well, I guess you're just all baby, but I didn't feel small. You know, I was like weighing, I think I weighed up to like 165 and I'm originally run around like 120 at like five, eight. So to me, I was like, I feel like I'm getting big. Wow. You know, I, I must be eating enough that I'm gaining weight, but it wasn't that at all. It was water retention. Um, so in the midst of all this, my baby was um, breech. And so I sought out a chiropractor, hoping that that could help me get him in position because I was just terrified of uh, having a C-section. And, um, and I think he actually flipped like a day before I went to the chiropractor, but I still went. And I remember her saying at one point, um, because she has a very kind of integrative practice and, you know, had a lot of people like midwives and different people she worked with. And she was like, 
asking about, you know, the, who I was with. And, um, and she's like, Oh, you know, that's funny. I would have thought you, you would have gone with a midwife. And I didn't really know anything about midwives at the time. Um, and I was like, well, you know, I want a natural birth, but you know, I think I want a doctor there just in case. (laughs) (laughs) And so about 40 weeks hits and I'm just like not feeling great. And, um, I went in a couple times for like, um, once I hit 40 weeks, they had me go into some specialists to test, you know, do the ultrasound for the amniotic fluid to make sure I had enough. And at that point I was just feeling like the, you know, like I was on the defense, like I was really trying to save myself from and getting induced. And at the same time, just totally not feeling right. I felt totally crappy. <laughs> and, um, uh, I was just, I remember breaking down crying because I just wanted to have a natural birth so bad. And, um, and just feeling like things just, it just, things felt off, but still no one like really picked up anything, even though I was going to these specialists, um, and you know, there were quite a few signs there. So, um, I was about, it was a Saturday night at like three in the morning and I could not sleep because I had started itching really bad and, um, enough that it was keeping me awake. So, you know, what do you do? You start Googling your symptoms and, um, probably for the first time, I think Google like saved my life in the sense I found like, uh, that it could be something like coleostasis. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, well, it can't be that bad. Like, I'm not going to do anything about it tonight. I eventually fell asleep. And the next morning my, my husband goes to church and my mom was here She's going to be here for the birth. And so I just very nonchalantly, you know, go over to her and show her on the iPad. And I'm like, you know, I think I may have this. And she's like, you need to call the doctor. <laughs> but of course, it's on a Sunday. So, you know, um, so I had called the hospital. And um, of course, my doctors were not the ones on call. And when I spoke to the doctor on call, he was like, you need to come in right now. Like, like, you need to be here now. Like, he was really insistent. So I'm like, okay. So my husband comes back and And I remember my mom trying to be calm and saying to me, like, you know, oh, I'm sure everything's fine. And, you know, we'll be back this afternoon, just like trying to encourage me. And um, so we go to the hospital and we get in there and they put me in triage. And I I had been having some like um, like prodromal labor, but it was nothing like, you know, full on uterine contractions. And so, uh, you know, the doctor checked me and he's like, "Okay, you're like a centimeter dilated, but, you know, your blood pressure is a little high. And uh, so we're going to run some blood work. So we're like sitting there waiting and they do the blood work and he comes back and he's like, you know, your blood work is pointing to uh, that you have help syndrome. And of course I had no idea what that was. And, um, and so he said, you know, with where your platelets are right now, we could induce you, but you're going to be in, you know, in bed because we need to put you on a, you know, magnesium sulfate drip, which, you know, of course relaxes your muscles. So you don't go into eclampsia. And, um, and so I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm a centimeter dilated. (laughs) I'm going to be like in the bed, you know, with the magnesium sulfate, I'm going to be induced. So I'm, which is going to be painful. So I'm sure I'm going to end up with an epidural. And then after all of that stress, this is a completely non-conducive environment to like, you know, opening up and the service, you know, the whole nine yards. And so he said, but, and then the last straw was, but if your platelets drop below a certain number, you know, we're going to have to do a blood transfusion so that you can have a C-section because, you know, your blood with platelets would be so low. And so I was like, you know, but he's like, where they are now, we could do the C-section now. He didn't really pressure me one way or the other. He just gave me 
the choices. And I said, no, let's do the C-section because I didn't really feel like my body could handle that stress. So, um, what was, how was your liver pain at that point? How was your liver pain at that point in time? Your upper right, right uh, quadrant pain. You know, it was like, it was nagging. It wasn't like bad, yeah. um, okay. but it was definitely like uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody really explained anything. You know, it was just like, you have this thing and I'm kind of glad at the moment I didn't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, the nurse, like the head nurse comes to me and she was like, honey, you are with the absolute best doctor, you know, the best surgeon in this hospital to do this C-section. So I don't want you to worry. He's like the best in the area. And, you know, everyone was just like really encouraging. And um, I remember as I was going in and getting the spinal, um, the doctor actually, he was like holding my hand and he had his hand on my back and just really like, I've heard so many horror stories of women having C-sections where even they weren't even completely numb and, you know, they start like started and, and like, so for having a C-section, like I, I felt incredibly supported. Um, I remember sort of bizarrely like laying there though. And, you know, you just have this complete sense of like helplessness. And debating in my mind, I had really wanted to do delayed um, cord, you know, cutting the cord. And so I was laying there debating in my mind, do I actually bring this up to them? Uh, Like, I don't want to distract them as they're cutting me open, (laughs) you know? And then at the same time, just feeling like, you know, like I said, just so helpless, like your life is literally in their hands. And I didn't end up saying anything. Um, but I remember, you know, when my son came out, he just let out this wail, like right away. Um, and this just flood of like love, it was just like instant, just, you know, came over me and I started crying and, and, uh, and he was crying. He was really not happy that, you know, um, he had been taken out of, (laughs) taken out of me. He was probably content to stay there for a while. Um, and yeah, it was, it was an awful way to kind of like come into motherhood because with the magnesium sulfate, it relaxes every muscle in your body, like even your eyes. And I was really nauseated. And and so that whole like post, post him being born, like everything is just this like blur. I remember them, you know, the nurses like doing his whole, you know, checkup thing. And, um, and uh, they were like, wow, you know, he was already holding his head up. He was very strong. His name means um, strength and uh, swiftness. And so he was like already living up to that. His name is Boaz. And uh, but just in this like complete blur and my husband had to stay. I was like in a more intensive, you know, area, not the normal maternity ward. And so they didn't really have it set up for like people to spend the night. But my husband stayed because if he hadn't stayed, the baby would have had to go into the nursery because I couldn't be alone with my own baby because I couldn't hold him, you know, like put him back in the the bassinet because of all the drugs I was on. And, and it was just, it was like the hardest thing physically I have ever gone through. And I remember a day later, you know, being moved into the maternity area. And I remember just taking a shower and I was shaking like crazy and like gritting my teeth. My teeth are like chattering and I was just in so much pain. And I didn't actually know how bad off I was until I saw other, you know, friends and family moms who had gone through a C-section and like the next day they were sitting in a chair and they were like, Oh yeah, it was painful. But like, you know, they seemed fine. And I was like, wow, like I was, I was bad off. (laughs) Um, and I just felt awful for weeks afterwards, but nobody, the, uh, the only thing that anyone really said was like, we don't really know why this happens. Um, and for the longest time I felt like 
my body had betrayed me, that my body was broken. And the doctors talked about help as if it exists in a vacuum, that it was random. And I just couldn't accept that. And so I started researching and I looked at medical studies and statistics and, you know, why people get it and articles. I went, you know, looked at nutritional, genetic. Um, I just wanted to know why. And the general info that you find actually is really not that helpful. It's very vague. It says nothing about nutrition. It says nothing about blood volume expansion. And the only thing that anyone really, it really, yeah, (laughs) it doesn't. There are a few things out there from um, Dr. Brewer on, on help. Um, Yeah. It's very, it's very few and far between. The thing is though, there are some, there are some cases of help where um women birth givers where you know they it it is i don't know some sometimes it's not diet related there's because there's two mm-hmm. different ways that it presents i yeah. i just have a paper on this actually um oh, uh, so um there's two different ways it presents some some one camp it has to do with diet another or they think there's a correlation to diet which i definitely think that they're you know obviously um, sure. But then there's a whole, but then there's other uh, situations where there is no correlation. Um, you know, someone was eating a totally healthy, nourishing, nutritious diet. And yeah, it just kind of came on. Um, yeah, you know, and, and, and there's just so much things to allow for, be it like, if you have a lot of stress in your life, if you, maybe you're nursing still a toddler Um, you know, are you working out a lot? You know, there was like those studies that were done and they were like working out during pregnancy is correlated with, you know, like preeclampsia. And I remember looking at a brewer's diet article and they were saying like, well, are you eating to, you know, make up for the calories and the salt and the electrolytes that you lose working out? Because they're like, we're guessing that those women, you know, probably aren't because there's this focus on like, don't gain too much weight. Um, and right. kind of limiting how much weight women gain, um, which is such a cultural thing I, that, ha- I, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and the only thing that, um, anyone really said that was, you know, supposedly helpful, you know, for a next pregnancy was, well, in the next pregnancy, there's been some studies that show that taking baby aspirin, um, you know, at a certain 17 weeks or something like that throughout your pregnancy is a good idea. And I was just like, I remember sitting there thinking just from logically like, okay, I know that aspirin thins your blood and Mm -hmm. I had a problem with like, you know, low platelets. So I'm thinking (laughs) like a blood thinner plus low platelets is like setting up for like a hemorrhaging kind of, you know, not to mention, mention, I feel like it could, it could make, it could do more damage to your liver potentially too than than good yes um and well just, that and just, yeah and i just sure. wanted to interject too really quick um it, anyone listening right now help uh stands for um hemolysis elevated liver enzymes and low platelets it's a very very serious um condition um, yes it's is- basically your body that's like saying like like i quit you know, like yeah. you stop producing red blood cells, like your, your platelets are like dying off. They're like self-destructing. Like, it's just not, you don't want to go there. And, um, no. and my future midwife actually pointed out how scary that was that like, um, uh, recommendation of, um, you know, aspirin. And, and I think it just ignores what I ended up, um, you know, another thing that I found was, um, 
just kind of randomly, I discovered this recently. If you have celiac or a gluten sensitivity, eating gluten can actually lower your platelets. And it's the same Ooh. thing with a thyroid. It's like the same thing with a, with a thyroid. If you have, you know, uncontrolled thyroid issues, or I'm sure even like, you know, even just barely like thyroid issues as obviously pregnancy kind of brings things to the surface a bit. Um, those things can have an impact on your platelets too. So like, I think anything in life with like nutrition, like it, I don't, I reject the idea that help happens like in a vacuum and that you're just like randomly like struck by it. I'm not saying that to like blame any woman who has it. Um, but I say it as like, as a sense of empowerment of like, you know, sometimes you can do all the things right. And obviously there's still problems, but I think there's just so much more, um, space out there to really study like why this happens and the things that we can do to like, you know, hopefully prevent it. And in the course of that, like you mentioned, I found a brewer's diet and I realized like that my body was actually not broken, that my body actually did something miraculous. Like it held out longer than most, like everything I read about help, you know, it was like just trying to get to 37 weeks. And here I was at like, you know, 40 weeks. Um, so basically I had a follow-up with the doctor that did my C-section. I remember sitting in his office because like he actually sat down and we had a conversation um, and asking him about a VBAC for my next um, birth. And he said, you know, you didn't go into labor last time, so you probably won't go into labor in the future. Mm-hmm. And I thought that sort of sounded off. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. okay, well, you know, like maybe at least let me try. I'm like, you know, I'm thinking yeah. this. So when I, I started researching VBACs and I decided like, I definitely need to go with midwives. And, um, I found a group that delivered at that same hospital that I'd had my C-section because I've, I've felt very supportive there. And I just wasn't ready, um, to commit to home birth yet. Even it just seemed like this unobtainable dream at the time. And so I was like, well, at least I'll, you know, I'll go with midwives and this midwife group and we'll see how it goes. So I had two years later, I got, um, after my son was born, I got pregnant, um, with my, with my daughter and I had my first appointment with, I think it was like a PA in the midwife group. And, and, you know, we're sitting down and we're having that same meeting again. And I got that same speech about the eating, you know, just a yogurt and a granola bar more. And I'm like, is there like some manual somewhere that everyone's reading this out of? <laughs> and, I was like, I was like, oh my goodness, deja vu. And uh, it was just, you know, in a totally different group. And I just, it wasn't not very good vibes, we'll say. And, um, and then I started meeting the rest of the midwives and like a lot of them were really nice. Um, But, you know, there was like five or six of them and you're just being cycled through them. And, and it was just, I was like a mess emotionally because I had so much fear that, um, you know, help or preeclampsia or, that any of it was just going to happen again. And I remember itching and I was like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, halfway through. And, um, thankfully they were actually concerned about symptoms and they were definitely taking a closer look at things and that whatever blood tests I asked for, they were happy to do. I've heard horror stories of women asking their doctors for blood tests and them not doing them, um, like bile acid tests and liver panels and, you know, they were fine. Um, but I was just living in so much fear. It didn't matter how much I meditated or, you know, tried to quote, take control by like nutritionally. I had just this overwhelming fear and, um, the, a breakthrough really happened for me. It was a night at a friend's house and we were having kind of like a prayer service and the pastor leading the evening just came over to me and started praying for me. And I hadn't told him anything, 
Um, but he just started like calling out fear and speaking words of like life and promise that this birth was going to be a testimony. And it was just like this amazing moment where I had this almost visible image of, as he was praying of like every cell in my body, just sort of like rising up, like they were rising to the occasion. And from that moment on, like all of my fear was gone and I had no more itching, which I'm wondering if it was like a histamine stress response, you know, to everything. Um, but the itching was gone. My fear was gone. And after that was actually, I felt the courage to, um, and I was kind of coming to the end of my rope with the, <laughs> with the switching around with all the, all the midwives. And, um, and so I switched, I found a home birth midwife and, um, I just remember being so shocked, um, like just, you know, talking with her by email and her saying like, Oh, I'll come to your house and you can meet me and, you know, we'll see if it's a good match. And I was like, you're going to come to my house. You know, it was just like, <laughs> this like brand new, brand new thing. And, um, she was a certified nurse midwife because that's who can legally deliver VBACs in Maryland. Um, and I just like felt comfortable with that. And once I met her, she was just so amazing and so calm and so supportive. And, you know, our visits were lasting like an hour, like all the things that, you know, and everything y'all do, you know, with Indie Birth and amazing midwives all over the country. Most of them do like, you know, you get to know and you develop this level of trust with your um, moms. And it was at my home, it was on my turf. And, and we, she really just talked things out. And we talked about my last birth. And it was just really, really amazing. And I didn't really tell anyone um, that I was having a home birth. I felt like that was really wise on my part because I think I'd actually heard that advice maybe on, on an indie birth podcast, which I listened to after my son's birth and, um, throughout my daughter's pregnancy. And it was like my, it was like my cheerleading, you know, cheerleaders in a sense, like just listening to Margo and Marin and, and all of the encouragement that they had that like, you know, your body was made to do this. It was meant to do this. And just all the incredible info, just learning on there. Um, and so I only told like three people that I knew would be supportive, um, that respected my decision, you know, to choose what was best for me and they weren't really going to question it. Um, and so then the week that I was due, I had still been going to my chiropractor who was really supportive. And, um, she was like, you know, maybe you should try like acupuncture. And, um, I went to an acupuncturist who was just so helpful, you know, not only was it the most calming thing I've ever done in my life, um, but she really helped me work through some issues that I didn't even know were issues from my last birth and just with my son, just really releasing a lot of them before labor. It was just such an amazing experience. And um, so the, th the Thursday um, when things started really kicking into gear, um, I went to her and, you know, she did all the points for uh, not inducing. Cause she's like, I don't like, it's not inducing, you know, labor or anything, but just when you're ready, like you tell me and we can do those points that kind of correlate. And so like, as she did that, I remember having this like full on uterine contraction, you know, where it's like, it rises all the way to the top and goes down. And I was like, Oh, this is good. <laughs> um, but they were so far apart. I was like, you know, starting to have these and they definitely felt different than with my son that I was just determined to completely ignore them for as long as I could. So I remember after going to the acupuncturist, I went to like the grocery store to like stock up on some stuff to Trader Joe's. And then I went to world market. And of course I had to go pee. And I remember going in the bathroom and I was like, 
um, I think that I just lost my mucus plug, you know? So like I was excited, things were progressing and I was like contracting all the way home in traffic. And I don't remember what we did for dinner that night. I think I cooked and then I nursed, um, my toddler and, you know, for anyone who's been there where you're like contracting and nursing a baby, you're just like, oh, dear God, let them finish before like one hits me that I need to like stand up for. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I was able to like get him down to sleep. And um, I remember thinking um, like, you know, this is like this is really happening. And so I went to bed and but I couldn't sleep because even though they were like far apart, they were intense enough that it woke me up, even if I like dozed off in between them. And then about 3 a.m., I think it was, um, this was on, I think, Friday. Sorry, this was Friday at this point. Um, about 3 a.m., my water broke. And I sort of was, like, kind of able to, I don't know, hold it kind of and, like, get to the bathroom. And I remember texting my midwife and I was like, oh, my water just broke. And she's like, we're going to meet this baby. You know, just text me when your contractions get closer. So I'm like, okay. So I go back to bed and I'm still excited. And they just, like, completely petered out. Like, they went from, like, 10 to 15 to 20 minutes, like, to, you know, but they were still intense. Um, it was strange. And so I couldn't sleep at that point, And I got up. And I went downstairs and I was just sort of like, you know, laboring on my own. And uh, I remember my friend came that day to take care of my son because I had texted her because I thought like, you know, things were going to be happening. And and then they didn't. And uh, the midwife, she came that afternoon and took my blood because um, I asked her to. I wanted to actually see where my numbers were because um, we had been pretty like low intervention at that point. She never checked me. You know, if I'd asked her to, she probably would have. But she was like, I don't. I don't need to check you or anything. She's like, you're obviously moving in the right direction. And the blood work came back the next day. Um, and I was totally no infection. Um, and I remember thinking about that whole 24 hour rule that you have in the hospital with, uh, with your water breaking and getting that baby out. Um, and so then that night, you know, I, once night hit, the contractions like really ramped up again and, um, so I just, I was laboring downstairs at that point. Like there was, they were getting closer together. And I remember like my husband sleeping in the chair next to the bed where I was laboring and I was just like, you know, like so envious because at this point I hadn't slept for a while. And then, um, like Sunday morning comes and, uh, or that, I would say probably about four or five a.m. I called the midwife um, or texted my midwife and said, you know, y'all should better come because they were about forty-five minutes out, and they're like, we don't want to miss it, so don't wait too long. And uh, at that point, they were probably like five minutes, four or five minutes apart, and I had gotten into like a birthing pool, and you know, I'm just like laboring and vocalizing. I'm definitely like a loud birther. It was like vocalizing through, and I just kept thinking with every contraction, like, oh dear God, if I had to get in a car right now, I'd be like. That would be like cruel and unusual punishment because I don't think I sat down for like 48 hours. <laughs> um, and because uh, there's just so much pressure. And I remember that morning I woke up like before anyone and uh, we we live on like a small acreage. And um, and uh, I remember thinking like, oh, maybe I should go out and let the horse out. And then I thought, no, like my water is broken. Like, you know, maybe I could get like an infection being out at the barn. And then my next thought was like, are you kidding me? 
women's water break and they're sitting on hospital beds. My barn has got to be cleaner than that. <laughs> and then I was like, you know, you're going to have to have a baby. Let someone else take care of the horse. And like, so anyways, kept laboring. Um, and the midwives came and they like, you know, listened to me for a bit and just like asked how I was doing. And they're like, you're doing great. You know, you're progressing. Like, it's just, it's gonna, this baby's going to come when this baby's ready. And so they were there the early hours in the morning and I was progressing, but not like, I wasn't really going anywhere at that point. And, um, so they were like, uh, one of them came in and, and she was like, so, you know, it was the midwife's assistant. She's like, you know, Sarah and I were kind of debating like who should come in and tell you this. And I was like, Oh no, like, are they, you know, gonna, we talked about transfer, but it wasn't for anything. You know, it was like for a legitimate reasons like Mm -hmm. emergency or right before the emergency reasons and so I was like I don't feel like I'm at that point and and she was like there's this maneuver that you can do where you sort of like hang off the end of the bed and you cross your leg over and don't worry I won't let you fall but it like sometimes it can just help positionally with the baby I'm like oh heck I'll try anything you know and (laughs) it was really funny and so like she's like you just gotta hold it (laughs) yeah yeah she's like you just gotta hold it through a whole contraction so I'm like, I'm really up for anything. So we did that. And then they're like, why don't my son woke up? And they were like, why don't you go nurse your son? So like I nursed him and like in the middle of that had this like massive, massive contraction. That I like jumped off the bed for so I could just be more like on all fours. And um, and so went back downstairs. And so things were starting to pick up, but they didn't want to like, you know, mess me up. And so like they said that like their intervention is like leaving the house. Um, so they're like, you know, we're going to go to breakfast and you just do your thing. And if you need us, just like, we are a text message, a phone call away. And so I'm like, okay, you know, and I'm just like, just powering through it. And, and my friend came to pick up my son and my husband went to like switch the car seats from our car to her car. And right as he was gone. So like, I'm now been left alone. Um, you know, he's just a few rooms away, but like I hit transition and like, I just, it almost like knocked me. Like I was like down on the floor and I started crying. I had this like wave of emotion come over me. And I remember like thinking, you know, my logical mind is all like, oh my gosh, you're in transition. Like this means you're really progressing. But then like, you know, the other side of me is like, you know, I'm just like crying and I'm like so emotional. And I'm like, I remember reading in the book and it said like, you don't leave a woman alone during transition. And like, everyone's left me, you know? And so I start like screaming my husband's name, not because I was like in such pain, but because I'm just like, hello, you know, like (laughs) birthing woman over here. Yeah. And, um, and he didn't come, you know, because he's like still trying to do the car seat thing. And so I like screaming again. So he just like, hands the keys to my friend and he's like here take our car you know and and he comes back and I'm like you need to call the midwives like the baby's coming you know and so he's like okay and he sits down in the chair he's like I'll text them and I'm like no call them you know because I like had this like idea that you know they'd be sitting there eating breakfast and like wouldn't see the text message you know which of course their phones were like attached to them and they hadn't even made it to the restaurant yet or I think they'd like ordered but the food hadn't come and they come like you know rushing back and they're like oh this is good and they like they get me on the toilet and I'm sitting backwards and it was just like wave upon wave it was like no like moments piece of contraction and they're like you're doing great this is like fat still no one had stuck their hand in any areas 
they were just like from, I remember the midwife saying at one point, judging from how you're sounding and, you know, you got the line going up my uh, bum, you know, I think you're probably an eight or nine, you know, like she just like treated it as exactly what it was, the normal, natural thing. And, um, and then at one point I was starting to feel a little pushy and they're like, okay, let's, I was like, I need to move. And so they, you know, we got onto the bed and, uh, I felt this overwhelming, like my uterus mind of its own, just start to like bear down. And it was obviously fetal ejection reflex. And I was like, yay, I can push. Like I finally can do something because my whole labor, I just felt like I was on this train and like the train was going and I just had to hold on. Like there was no, it felt a little bit like out of control. And the only thing that got me through the contractions was like, Mm -hmm. I can do anything for one minute and just be glad you're not trying to like get in a car right now. Like that was (laughs) the only, you know, all the birth affirmations and the breathing and anything that I had like thought about or tried to, you know, internalize just flew out the window. It was just like such an intense labor. And so I started pushing with all my might. I like totally lost my head, you know, the whole breathing the baby out and letting your body do its thing. I was probably doing the purple pushing and holding my breath and just like pushing, pushing. And, um, but I remember with that first like contraction, I started vocalizing all that like discomfort and pressure, just vocalizing it out of my body. And the midwives were just like, yes. And they were, just, it was like my own two personal cheerleaders. Like they were just so encouraging. and. I got to, um, I was like birthing instinctively. I wanted to be like on my knees. And when the urge came to push, I would sort of like lean forward, but I I wanted to like keep my legs together. Um, and at some point the midwives, I think they were trying to like help me along because they knew how long I'd been laboring and I was getting really tired. Um, and so they're like, you know what, why don't we try a different position? Why don't you like kind of put your leg up? And so I was sort of like, if you can imagine like a proposal, you know, where you got one leg up and one leg bent, like a man's proposing or something. And, um, so I was pushing like that and then I like switched legs and, and I could feel her and they're like, reach down, you know? And I remember the midwife saying at one point, all right, your baby's coming around the pubic bone. And in my mind that seemed like two or three feet away, like that, that's how far it was (laughs) to her then coming out and I remember thinking that's not helpful like that's forever away and uh (laughs) and then finally she's like reach down you know your baby's head's right there and I and I felt her head but she kept like obviously as babies do coming down and going back up and coming down and my body was doing what it needed to be doing it was slowly stretching but I was getting so tired and and the angle the position that I was in um was not conducive I don't think for my personal space and makeup of like, uh, with, I remember with, um, she was like coming closer and closer. And I just was like this next push, she's like, got to come out. Cause I, I remember having that thought of like, I can't do this anymore. Like someone's going to have to reach up there and pull this baby out because like I'm done. And then the other side of my head was going, no, you're the only one that can do this. And like, you are doing it. And, you know, all these like, conver- like um, thinking this, you know, during the birthing. And, uh, and so finally, um, I was just like, I'm pushing this baby out, you know, on the next push. And like I said, once again, was not thinking very clearly about breathing her out. And so just, you know, gave it my all and felt, 
felt the ring of fire, which was nothing compared to then feeling tearing and uh, just pushed right through the tear because I was just like, I was done. And uh, her head came out and then like seconds later, her body, you know, just on its own, just like she just shot out. And when she came out, like I saw her come out with like a flash of light. Like it was just the most incredible thing. And then of course I took that like 30 second kind of maternal pause of like going from labor land back into, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the moment. And um, they just, my husband and the midwife kind of like caught her at the same time because she came out so fast onto the bed and they just, you know, put her up onto my chest and, you know, kind of like turned me around, got myself turned around with the cord. And she just like, she, she was so content. Like it was such an opposite. And she just took a few moments. She wasn't, she wasn't like blue or anything. She pinked up and, but she was just so like happy and content. And then she sort of was just like, oh yeah, like, I guess I should cry. Cause you know, just to let you know, I'm okay. I'm here. And kind of like let out a cry and then just went back to being this perfectly content baby because she, she had, as far as I know, you know, like the most calm birthing experience of, I remember the midwife saying at one point, like, you know, I can see her like wiggling a little, like she's trying to help you. Like she was like, you know, like making her way down and, and they very unobtrusively like took my blood pressure and like checked my heart rate and checked her heart rate. And they were like, she is unfazed by this. Like her heart rate was like perfect. My blood pressure was like spot on. It was 120 over 80 in the middle of labor, you know, like it was, Mm -hmm. And I just like, my body just did everything that I knew, you know, that it was made to do and that I knew it could do or hoped it could do. And at no point in that labor did I ever think like, in my mind, it was just like, I'm having this baby right here. Like, I wasn't going anywhere. Like, it was happening. There was never a thought in my mind of like, oh, if this gets too tough, I'm going to transfer or what I was just like determined, like, you know, this baby was coming. But unfortunately... I not only tore on the outside, um, I actually had kind of like a deep tear on the inside, almost like a circle. And, you know, thankfully the midwives weren't like sticking their hands anywhere. And like, this was so just back up. Um, They like didn't, you know, obviously we didn't clamp, cut the cord or anything. She just stayed on me. And then like, they're just like, okay, we're just waiting for the placenta to come. You know, there was no pressure. There was nobody pulling on anything. Um, and my body just did its thing. It just birthed the whole placenta. And then my midwife held it up and she was like, you know, explaining all the different areas and talking about the health of it. And, and it was such a difference because I remember the other doctor saying that my placenta had started to like calcify quite a bit. And, um, but she was saying like, it's such a healthy. And I just thought, wow, like my body did that, you know? And, um, she's like, look, it looks like a tree of life. Like it was the most incredible thing. And, uh, you know, and then once the cord was white, you know, they cut it and my husband did. And, um, you know, they did, they did the, like, they did her checkup. Her APGAR scores were like 10 and 10, but it was all right there with me. It was very like unobtrusive, you know, it was, they, they saved a lot of the stuff for like the next day because they're like, just, you know, be and. I think I took a shower at one point and I was shaking and, but I was in so much pain in that area. And so she was, I remember her saying like, do you want me, you tore a little on the outside. Do you want me to stitch it or glue it? And the midwife assistant was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, glue that. (laughs) Um, But they didn't do anything to the inside tear. And um, 
I ended up having complications with that later where I had like um, granular tissue kind of grow out of it and I had to go and like get it revised um, with surgery. Once I started doing like pelvic floor therapy, the tissue kind of started like uh, growing because I had really bad scarring that ended up happening, um, which is something else you don't find a lot of information about (laughs) online either. Um, So yeah, I think if I could like describe, you know, the two bursts against each other are just the last one was just this super empowering, but also it felt really raw and just, I mean, it was just this, it was powerful. And sometimes I felt a little bit helpless in that power and other times I felt empowered. Um, but you know, it was, I just, it felt to me this miracle, like against the odds of going from help, to an HVAC. And I was just so grateful, you know, that I was able to do that. So, yeah. Yay. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to do that too. That's, I'm so happy for you. That's awesome. Yeah. I Um, just like, you know, I, I I was going to say, I just, you know, there wasn't, I found encouragement definitely within like indie birth and a lot of the podcasts and seeing that other women, you know, had had C-sections and then um, home births and even one or two with like help. Um, mm-hmm. And I just like, I would say, yeah, my biggest thing was just to educate myself and um, to, you know, to know the risks. And there was a couple of books that um, Marin, I think, recommended, like Hensi Goer's The Thinking Woman's Guide to a Better Birth. And just like being empowered with that information, I think is so critical so that you feel like you're not just like completely clueless and okay, whatever you say, because you don't know what else to do. Um, Yeah, I think just the more you know, you know, the more empowered we are. And then, and after my daughter was born, I remembered just to bring it full circle back to like my original kind of like thoughts that I'd had on, on birth and not knowing too much about it growing up other than it being like this thing that you went to the hospital for, which is, I feel like just plays into like, we go to the hospital because we can't, you know, like fix ourselves because we're sick. And then you go and deliver a baby there. And I think it just sets up in your mind, like, I need to go here because I need a doctor to do something for me. And obviously, sometimes, like in the case of my first one, like, I don't think a C-section could have been prevented at the point I was at. Like, I think I would need to prevent that. Like I needed to be with midwives from the beginning to like from the nutritional and all of that standpoint. Um, so yeah, I remembered that, um, my great grandmother had been a midwife and she had birthed all nine of her babies. She actually had 10 pregnancies. She had twins that she'd miscarried. So I guess all 11 of her babies, she had birthed them all at home. And she had served as sort of like a, you know, there was no licensed or anything like that. This was like, you know, 1900s, late 1800s. Um, she had served as a midwife for women, you know, in the area. And uh, she had raised all of her children on like herbs and things that she learned from a local, um, you know, indigenous Native American woman. And um, I remember my grandmother always saying that that my grandmother was the last of the nine. And when she was born, um, that her sister had come downstairs and she saw that there was something black and fuzzy on the bed. And she thought the cat had had kittens. Like she didn't know that her mother had just had a baby because her mother was up making breakfast for everyone. And then later that day was back out in the fields, you know, working because I had a farm. And I just thought like, wow, like I remembered that, like that is the heritage that I came from. 
you know, these like strong working, powerful women who did exactly what God created their bodies to do. And, um, and that's the heritage I think, you know, in some sense we all come from because obviously there wasn't always hospital births. Um, so yeah, that's my birth yeah. story. Well, thank you so much, Jordana. And is yeah. there any parting words of wisdom that you would like to leave our listeners with? Um, I would just say, you know, educate yourself, you know, um, find out as much as you can about this incredible thing we call birth and all the ways that it can go right. And even, you know, like if you're eating optimally, if you're nourishing your liver, you know, we talked about the brewer's diet. I recommend all pregnant women, you know, just to look at the brewer's diet and that information about blood volume expansion and how critical that is um, for a healthy pregnancy. You know, it may not be like a cure-all for absolutely everything, but I think it could prevent so much, just the nutritional aspect um, of that. So, yeah. And just to, you know, trust yourself and, and your own judgment if you feel like, if you know, if you feel that things are off, no matter what any practitioner or anyone is telling you, if you feel like things are off to, like, demand the things that you need and and if you feel like things are right and people are telling you you need to do elsewise just to really to get in tune with your body and your intuition um, because we were created for this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And for um, just as a final note for me, um, for any listeners um, out there, I will link any available sources on help, um, you know, anything with the brewer diet or action. And as Jordana said, podcasts that um that Marin's done for indie birth um on help and actually I think with a former client of hers that actually did go on to have an HVAC um that I will link that in the show notes or maybe not an HVAC but I know that she she had help and then she had a home birth after that but great yeah and again thank you so much Jordana I really appreciated this conversation. You're so welcome. It was such a such an honor to be here because Indie Birth was such like I had a, a fellow mama who had a midwife with a few births and then free births most of her other babies. And she was the one who told me about Indie Birth after my son was born. And it was such a critical part of my education of myself in the process. And um yeah, y'all were I felt like you were there, you know, <laughs> with me mm -hmm. and such a source of encouragement. So I recommend all women, you know, um, <laughs> to check out. I'm like, you should really check out this amazing group. <laughs> Shameless so. plug. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally. I mean, like, from me, genuinely, from the heart. Like, you know, I, I think, like, you know, that old saying, like, an ounce of prevention is worth, I think it's like a pound of cure. Um, yes, like do all the things up front. You don't want to go into <laughs> the dark place kind of thing. So I think educating yourself with amazing resources like Indie Birth, um, it can just change. I think it'll just change the birth paradigm, you know, across the U.S. and even around the world. If more women had access to this kind of information and education. Cool. Well, thank you so much again. Thank you. Have a wonderful, have a wonderful rest of your day. Of course. You of too. Course. <laughs> right, bye. Thank you so much for listening. Storytelling is a profound agent of change, one that has the ability to plant seeds of inspiration, 
introspection, and beyond. If you have an empowering birth story that you would like to share on our podcast, please head over to IndieBirth.org forward slash birth warrior to send your submissions. That's IndieBirth.org forward slash birth warrior. Hope you have a beautiful week wherever you are in the world. Until next time, friends.